0: In a New Age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters, Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney, received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of New Age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Uh, don't be shy. Learn humility from your function. Butter is a viable option. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Take off your shirt and stay a while. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. This just in from the Paratopia News Desk. Vacationers Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney have agreed to do the Paratopia podcast indefinitely. That's uh, more words than music. And it's highly awkward. Uh, Back back to you. News Desk. (laughs) Hey, 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 Jeff, what are you doing? Come on, man. What,
1: what, what? Leave me alone. I can't play. We're not doing anything. What do
0: you... Shut up. up. No, you're the one... <laughs> what are you talking about? Shut up. You're the one who wanted to do a podcast, and now you're just screwing around with all these sound effects. It's like... Have you heard this one? <laughs> uh, yeah, like a thousand times. Oh, okay. You're annoying the hell out of me. It's it's loud. How about now? Uh, is this your candy shop little kid? It is. It's fun. Yes, it's cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> soon, yes. Soon you will be the Rob Simone of Podcast. That's
1: right. I'm the Rob Simone <laughs> of the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh so who do we have as a first guest here on our little shoe?
1: That would be Mr. Ted Rowe of
2: Narcap.
0: Ted Rowe. Ted Rowe, spelled R O E, which is um uh, not irony exactly it's what what do you call that when something is uh, named after what it is you know
1: you going on too long
0: right well i mean i guess what i'm saying is (laughs) he uh he swims with the fishes right his last name is a fish
1: that's right well fish eggs right
0: uh i don't know i'm not that smart (laughs) okay i'm gonna take your word for that all right i'm only smart enough to to almost figure out what i was trying to say and then be slightly wrong about it. Okay. <laughs> that's that's where my intelligence ends. Let's go with that. All right, so let's, uh, let's get him on the horn. Hey, Ted. Thanks for doing that really quick like that.
1: <laughs> go ahead.
0: We are here with Ted Rowe. He is, uh, are you the director of NARCAP, Ted?
2: Executive director.
0: Executive director. And what does NARCAP stand for?
2: Uh, National Aviation Reporting Center on Anomalous Phenomena.
0: Okay, and essentially what you've done is you've decided um, UFOs represent something real, so what we're going to do is we're not ever going to say the word UFO. We're going to say UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena and we're not going to uh, associate with the ufo community if at all possible and when we do we're going to change them to do things that look oh i don't know scientific and rational perhaps is that a, is that right is that bas- yeah.
2: yeah yeah credibility matters you know uh you don't call it a ufo unless it's a ufo i mean if it's a if it's an unusual light then it then it really isn't a ufo is it um that's, yeah. So, unidentified aerial phenomena is a little bit easier. It doesn't come with a lot of baggage. Uh, nobody's thinking necessarily alien spaceship when we when they hear the term UAP. So, that's what we're looking for, some objectivity in the conversation that allows for the possibility that there's more than one source of uh, unidentified aerial phenomena.
0: And so, here's where irony <laughs> drops descends upon us like a fine rain. Oh, it does. I, uh... Uh, somebody somebody sent me or somehow I found I don't remember this uh, pen and teller episode uh, of a show on Showtime called bullshit uh, and the episode was dealing with um really these people with dolphin fetishes. It's like people who uh, were teaching dolphin birthing classes uh, but they'd never done that before, and they they were talking about the wonders and miracle of it and and yet they'd never done it before, so they didn't really know what would happen if if dolphins helped human women give birth. Uh, and then there were, they they would cut to these people in uh, Sedona, uh, you know, who, who did these, like, prayer and dance circles to the dolphins and things like this and, you know, ha, ha, ha. Now, I had spent some time last summer with Ted. It's been a, about a week or maybe a little less uh, in Hawaii. And, I mean, Ted, you, I don't know if I said this the last time I spoke with you, but your knowledge of the flora and fauna of the Big Island is astounding. I mean, it's just as really, it's almost as breathtaking as the landscape because you know, every little plant, every little animal, every little insect that there is to know. And I have no clue how you retain that when I can't remember what I did yesterday. So, uh, so I spent time with Ted. I I, I knew that he, uh, swam with dolphins or, well, he free dives. And so sometimes he ends up with dolphins and goes out there and swims with them and all that. And so I emailed him the link to this YouTube video of bullshit. And I said, Ted, do you know these assholes? And I think that's what I said in the email. Do you know these assholes? To which he says, uh, not only do I know them, but go ahead, Ted, uh, finish that sentence. I,
2: I, I'm living with them.
0: <laughs> I'm living with them.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a little taste of the pod project. you know. Um,
0: yeah, how does a rational guy end up doing that?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. It, it, it's really just... Uh, at, at the time, I was going to be leaving the island for uh, a, a, about a month and a half, and uh, uh, but as it turned out, I pushed my uh, exit date back a little bit further, and ended up just I needed a place to stay, so I I, I found a place to stay with uh, Star and uh, Michael and that crowd to, involved with this this dolphin birthing thing that you were referring to. Um, and there is a sort of a tradition around dolphin birthing, but as far as I know, humans—no humans have been birthed with dolphins since the mid '30s. Um, uh, I learned a little bit about it while I was around these folks, and uh, learned a little bit about water birthing, which is is interesting. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, as you say, it's woo-woo. You're you're on the edges of things that are not terribly discerning in a way that that you can engage rationally. Um, it was very uncomfortable. I was definitely ready to leave when the opportunity came. Um, <laughs> man.
0: Yeah, well, I yeah, I imagine that that was... So, hmm, did that influence you at all in terms of um, how you see woo-woo people? Or, I mean, do you, do you give them a little more leeway? Or?
2: Well, you know, I, I think we ought to define terms a little bit. I mean, woo-woo, uh, I, I run an organization that's uh, pretty focused on factual, uh, evidentiary... Uh, information of of high value, you know, scientifically um, uh, acceptable information. And and so I I sort of occupy the right-wing conservative branch of the uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Investigation uh, movement. And uh uh other people are a little bit further to the left in a lot of ways, and they operate from belief systems or perspectives that aren't really consistent with that rational side of things. so I always find uh, I often find myself at odds with that kind of thinking. Um, it's hard to have a a solid conversation about things when when it's channeled information or it's um you know it, it just uh, to me i I'm just not there, you know. Other people operate in, in, in other spectrums, and, and I don't know how successful they are at doing it. I, I know when you were with, with uh, when you came over to Hawaii the last time here, that um, we got a little taste of sort of probing the mindsets of these true believers, and, and that's I think probably the common trait is belief. They believe certain things, and um, and I, in, in the work I do, it's about purging belief. Getting rid of what you believe and figuring out what's actually a fact. And when you run out of facts, you stand there and you look over the edge and stare into the blackness, let the wind boil, and wait for another fact to come along. And you don't confabulate, you don't uh, uh, extrapolate inappropriately, you try not to speculate too much, uh, unless it's in a way that's productive to the research.
0: Well, what do you think drives that mindset? I mean, do you, do you think that there's some underlying. Um, thing that they're repressing? I mean, what, what, having hung out with them, what do you think? What, what, what's going on in there?
2: Well, I think it's pretty clear to me that everybody's damaged goods. Um, some folks have trauma, uh, and they've dissociated in different ways, and that's that's how they're coping with things that have happened to them in their lives. Um, other folks just never really developed I uh, um, I don't know, a critical mind in the sense that they... they, they Built. For them, logic only works so far, and then when logic doesn't work anymore, they can fill in the blanks in other ways. Um, so, you know, I, I can't really pretend to understand these people too much. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, I get a feeling that, that, that there's a, an essential attempt at trying to do good in the world, but I, I find myself at odds with, with the approach. Uh, uh-huh. A belief really just kind of gets in the way of uh, discernment. You need facts. You need to understand what's really happening if you want to initiate change. In my opinion,
0: did anything um, you say have an effect on them? I mean, I, are these the same people that I met when I was there, Star and Michael? No. Okay. No. Uh, so, so probably they weren't talking to you about David Ike.
2: <laughs> no, I, no, I don't think you. I don't think you met them when you were there or um, here. Uh, but uh, you know, Michael's got a lot of experience. He's a neurophysiologist and. Uh, worked a lot with dolphins and and probably understands uh, dolphin physiology better than a lot of folks and uh, they really are wonderful creatures. They really, really are and and we don't really appreciate just how powerful they are and and how uh, intelligent they are and how interactive they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I had to learn that. uh, I I found out that a number of my freediving experiences involving dolphins were unique even for people who swim with dolphins a lot. Um, So there, there is an aspect of interaction with these um, um, I don't know, beings, I suppose, is a fair word. They're very, very bright, and they're empathetic. Uh, I've had a number of examples of them showing care and concern for me as a swimmer, particularly when I'm swimming deeply. Um, so it, 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 there's, there, there is reasonable ground to have some respect for dolphins. I mean, the oracle at Delphi in, in Greece is a dolphin oracle. Okay, a Delphi is dolphin. You know, so, um, so, uh, humans have sort of recognized the relationship with dolphins throughout, and it certainly had a mystical side to it. Uh, my experience is that they're wonderful animals. Um, they live dangerous and difficult lives. They're terribly interactive at certain times, and if you have the luck of being able to free dive in a group of dolphins, you're doing something very sublime. Um, does that mean dolphins are teleporting? Does that mean that, um, you know, other, other things are happening that are, quite metaphysical. I I don't know. Um, I couldn't speak to that. Okay,
0: Um, well, then let's bring uh, her on back to UFO, well, UAPs. Um, Sure, sure. You've um, actually, personally, I guess, probably not as part of NARCAP, although you'll correct me if I'm wrong, um, have ended up um, helping out MUFON to do conferences and, I guess, to to do what else? To sort of revamp their rules so they're more scientific in their approach?
2: Well, I think that's their goal, and um, uh, they, they look to NARCAP uh, probably along with other efforts as a model, and in that sense we've, we've been available to, um, I mean, I, 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 I laud that approach. I, I think that's the right thing to do, um, and I, um, they, they are an influential organization, so um, to the extent we can, we've, we've offered whatever assistance that would be. Helpful, and we did speak at their conference, their international conference this summer. I had a number of Narcat folks there presenting various aspects of our work.
0: So, um, so when when you're uh, you know investigating a, a, a UAP case, um, do you do you rule anything out? I mean, ha, ha, well, I don't even know how many cases you've worked on, but uh, I, I'm assuming you've come in, into contact with high strangeness type cases. Um, sure. Would you? rule those out? Would you examine those? How would you go about scientifically justifying high strangeness?
2: Well, here's the deal, really. Uh, uh, there's a, been a debate out there about the quality of, of pilots as witnesses, whether they're particularly a better type of witness than others. And our approach has been to uh, accept the fact that when these cases occur in the flying environment, you can bring specific tools to bear we We know a lot about the flying environment. We've spent billions of dollars understanding uh, um, human perception, uh, perceptual psychology, human factors issues in the flying environment. So we have a lot of tools to bring to bear if a pilot comes to us and says something unusual happened, and even even more tools to bear if if there seem to be corresponding um, uh, effects on equipment, if there was radar detections, if there were secondary witnesses in other aircraft, uh, this sort of thing. So well, we can we can we can bring these tools to bear in every single case, and uh, pilots are susceptible to delusion and illusion and uh, uh, misidentification of uh, of things, just like everybody else. Um, and and there are there are phenomena that are uh, that are unusual, um, poorly documented, uh, that that could account for some of these observations and incidents that may have a natural source and then there's a category of phenomenon that uh, fits the high strangeness uh, aspect of things that seems to for lack of a better word it seems to be whatever it is um,
0: Are there any other aspects of the field uh, that interest you outside of uh, UAPs? I mean do abductions do anything for you or crop circles, anything like that?
2: You know I, I've had to be so careful working with our image um, because we work with the aviation community and we've we've done some work with government uh, that I've I really sort of stayed away from the more um, I don't know humanistic sides of this uh, uh, debate. Uh, really, our work is to document a certain kind of case, and it involves aviation safety and unidentified aerial phenomena. And when we, we have about three thousand four hundred cases of, uh, uh, of incidents and observations involving um, military and commercial aircraft, mostly. Um, and out of that, there are threads of commonalities along several different tracks. So um, uh, we, we try not to second guess our reporters. We just try to document and protect their identity, uh, address the bias in the aviation system against discussing the, the phenomena, and then
0: encourage dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever go out to? Um, do you ever go on site to to any sort of like, I don't know, what they be UFO flap type areas or anything like that?
2: Well, sure, sure. Uh, there's a, a site in uh, 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 southwestern U.S. that uh, uh, I've been to a number of times where unidentified aerial phenomena in the form of anomalous light phenomena manifest regularly. Um, uh, very unusual. I um, had some pretty good looks at it. Still not sure what I'm looking at, but but it's very interesting. So what were you Yeah, at? I've been to some places. Uh, excuse me. What,
0: can you describe what it is that you were looking at?
2: Well, uh, um, in one case, uh, just uh, a, a well, this is a desert area, so it's quite arid. Um, and yet, uh, uh, no fires seem to occur when these phenomena happen, but they, they seem to be round, uh, burnt orange colored balls of light, uh, red balls of light, uh, green balls of light, huh. uh, unusual other light phenomena. Uh, uh, not really sure what, what what we're looking at there, but uh, very interesting.
0: Do they happen at certain times of the day or certain times of the year?
2: Well, they're more visible at night, uh, and it's a, it's a lot more comfortable to be out there in the cold season than the hot season. Um, it gets up to 125 degrees out there during the summers, and hotter, and you just it's not safe to be out there. But at night, um, that's the, the observations are much easier in the, in the late afternoon and evening, nighttime.
0: Jeff, does this sound familiar to you? <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, Ted, are you uh, are you familiar with the Marley Woods case at
2: all? Um, you might have to refresh me on that.
1: Uh, it's one that Ted Phillips is uh, is uh, is is investigating ongoing, as far as I know. It, it has a lot of uh, similar aspects of what you just described, but they also have. Uh, quite a bit of weird stuff that is akin to maybe like the Skinwalker Ranch type of scenario where we have weird-ass animals running around and um, uh, large, large balls of light appear to be showing up out of nowhere. And in some of those balls of light, people are saying that they're almost seeing what looks like uh, another world through this light. Um, just some really bizarre, bizarre things, um, that don't necessarily, well, yeah. you know, seem UFO related, but kind of
2: are in a way. Well, you know, in in our sense, uh, you know, the, the site I've been looking at, um, I'm not the only person that's aware it's out there. There are a number of researchers going from sort of different angles, uh, looking at this and, uh, um the uh, uh there there seems to be a lot of anomalous light phenomena for some periphery around the site itself. Uh, amorphous uh orange blobs discharging, uh this sort of thing fairly constantly. Oh. And uh, and and some of the phenomena well well much of it is regular and there seems to be duration with it in that it repeats. Uh, like, like there's a, there's a row of red lights that light up on the edge of the canyon there and they, they, they do it at certain times of the night and then they'll go out and they'll come on and you'll look at them and literally you blink and when you open your eyes, they won't be there. And then when you open your eyes again, they're there and, and, and pe- everybody sees them. It's not something you that's localized to one person or anything, but there's a lot of, uh, um, uh, Native American rock art in the area, um, uh, it's very arid. so If these phenomena were hot, it would start fires, and that's not what they're doing. So, uh, Has anyone tried to
1: run up on them when they're in that spot, or are they several miles away that we're talking about?
2: Uh, well, no. They, they they come right into the campsite. Uh, you can sometimes get closer than you want to be to them. Um, as far <laughs> as anybody touching them, no, nobody's had the urge to do that. No. I, I, was, out with, <laughs> I was out there with Erling Strand uh, from Pestle in Norway. you um, huh? Listeners might be familiar with the Astolin site. Um, very similar types of phenomena, but, but much more of them occurring at the southwestern U.S. site. Um, uh,
1: how much of this stuff is getting visually documented?
2: Uh, a bit of it. Um, uh, the whole point isn't just to take pictures. What we really need to do is get better data. And to that end, uh, uh, the Italian astrophysicist Massimo Teodorani, who's I think he's been part of the EMBLA project looking at that, what's happening in Hesland. Um Developed a technique uh, to collect spectra data off of mobile unpredictable luminosities. So uh, we come up with a way to break down the light coming off of these things so we can kind sure. of determine a little easier just what the constituents are of these phenomena. He, he did put a paper out on the Internet. Uh, it came out in 2003, I think, um uh, I can't remember the title, of the darn thing, but it's under Teodorani anyway, Massimo
1: Teodorani. Okay. Um, huh. Well, I mean, it's, okay. it seems like there's sure, a get to be more of these little hot spots like around like that that are duplicatable almost on a nightly basis. Seems to be getting. Um, I don't know. I'm almost getting familiar to hearing them now. All of a sudden, that uh, you well, know, with Walker in yeah. these other places.
2: You know it's interesting because um, you know there seem to be a number of these sites around the world, um, and you can actually kind of draw a band across the southern U.S. pretty much from uh, uh, Gulf Breeze and that area right across Texas and and uh, the southern uh, uh, southwestern states, and hit a number of places where these things are reported to be seen uh, mm-hmm. regularly. Um, uh, so. Uh, what I found was interesting was that this site in particular, very well known by the locals, but not very well known outside of it. I mean, University of Arizona has an atmospheric physics uh, um, department that is um, top, top of the line, and they're only 90 miles away, and they don't know about this. Um, and I've watched F-16s flying through the space where these amorphous orange blobs were lighting up, and, and so they must know they're there. Uh, haven't had a chance to really find out what they're thinking.
1: Of. I, I guess when I was asking you about, um, about someone trying to get closer to some of the the lights, is that uh, on a recent paracast show, I think uh, Ted Phillips had mentioned that in one instance they had a, a large globe of light on a hill and Ted and the gentleman who I think owns the property kind of got on some four-wheelers or a truck and they went up around where this thing should be, uh by rights to where the direction that they were looking, and they saw nothing, but yet the person back at the site, visually seeing this globe of light said, "I saw your headlights right near it. There's no way you couldn't have seen it, uh, which almost pointed to something directional. I mean, do you have that kind of thing going on there at all?
2: Well, you know we, we we've been baffled a few different ways, and then we've had some unusual e- equipment reactions um for example just just we were carrying lightning strike indicators out there similar to what golfers wear and we'd have these things tripping pretty regularly and along with it you would get other types of detections um so it's it kind of baffling that the makeup of the ground out there is, is different um uh there's a, a uh um, the the radiation counts a little bit high uh there's it, it's just kind of strange and 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 as far as uh, directional stuff goes, um, not, not quite like that, but I, I've had other things. We've seen other things out there that are just strange. Um, we, were, we were about around high noon. We were looking down the uh, ravine and uh, uh, saw what looked like a, a rectangular sheet of lightning, for lack of a better word, coming, coming up the uh, ravine. Huh. And as we watched it, it, there seemed to be a, a discharge between it and the ground and then it went a little bit further, to, sort of into the center of, of where the site is and then it just blinked out. Uh, we went back and looked at it at 30 frames per second and what it was was uh, it looked like a line of lightning vibrating at a rate that would make it appear to be a rectangle and there was a distinct uh, uh, discharge between it and the ground. Uh, and then, um, and then the thing again moved into the center of our, of the, the site as we were surveying it and then went out. Um, we had, I had Dr. Haynes with that over. He's a, a perceptual psychologist, and an expert in visual acuity. And, uh, we, we, we took a look at the lay of the land and, and the ability for reflections to bend and other things. And we're just not able to explain it other than it was anomalous and uh, inconsistent oh. with what other people were seeing. Uh, but right. Weird. You know,
1: well, you, you say these things get a little closer than you want. How close are we talking about?
2: Well, we have we had higher uh, frames when we're looking at them in uh, less than a second. Sometimes they'll move right through the group. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we've had them. Uh, for example, I I, I, uh, 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 I mean, we, we when we were walking, uh, we were walking back and observing them uh, along the rim and watching along the rim of the canyon. There were five red ones lighting up and then going out and we were probably probably thirty feet from them um, wow. and, and just kind of a, a cherry sort of stoplight red and, and fixed, almost like they were attached to something that was just a little bit out of phase uh, from uh, reality, I, I don't know but but then those are seen kind of pretty much in the same place with the same angle um, uh, over and over again so I, huh. I really don't know what it. I don't know what it is we're looking at out there, but it's unusual and it deserves a, uh, some more attention. Um, how about
1: uh, how about physical effects when they're that close? Anything physical with uh, people reporting
2: any any anything when uh, they get that close? Well, you know, um, you know, your mind kind of messes with you when you're standing around staring into the desert looking for weird lights. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you you have to do a little mental hygiene out there to just kind of make sure everything's okay and um, sure. And we t- so we talked to each other and had radios and, and uh, the, the ability to triangulate. So if one person was looking at something, we'd call to somebody to make sure somebody else was seeing it so that we'd have a, an extra set of eyes. Um, but but uh, in that sense, you know, a uh, couple couple of the party came back with some sort of spooky stories. Lester Velez was out there with me uh, from MUFON. Um, I don't know if you know him or not. He also works with Opus uh, dealing with uh, uh, psychologists studying uh, UAP experiencers. Um, so, in that sense, not. I, I, I don't come away with that sort of thing. I, I'm just. I, I just have a very inquiring mind, and I want to know. I want to get close to it. Um, uh, you know, try to get an understanding. of What it is, I'm looking at it. And, uh, and I'm not satisfied that I know at this point. Wow. Uh, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think that just labeling it earth lights and ignoring it is, is really the right call. I, 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 it's a catch-all phrase, and it really doesn't tell us anything. Uh, these things have unusual properties, and the more time you spend watching them, the more you realize just how unusual they are. Um, Sounds fascinating uh, to me.
0: So when, yeah, when, you, yeah. uh, when you see something like that, um, knowing what your goal is with NARCAP, do, do you feel like maybe the... Um, the the sort of rational box that you're trying to put it into is too constrictive?
2: Um, haven't arrived there yet. I, I, I think that, that if, if 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 you're looking at something that, that uh exists in in um uh, in our reality that other people can see, you know, that it isn't a personal experience, it's an external experience involving two or more minds and and, and perhaps some equipment. Um I think that physics and, and uh Mathematics and science can get to the bottom of it. It may not get there right away and it may teach us some things we did not anticipate we would know. Uh, but if it's a physical object, it has physical properties. Uh, so that's my approach to it. And who do you um, um,
0: ultimately, ultimately, who ends up with these reports? Is it pol- politicians or?
2: Well, actually, we funnel them deep back into black, dark places where. <laughs> Bats and Carl live. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, <laughs> Chinese yeah. bunker. Right? No, no, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there you go. You know, uh, no, um, we, we try to be very transparent. We put all all of our completed work when we have completed case work, we we, we try to get it up on our website, um, and and uh, there, with some exceptions, in, in that if if some cases were clearly. We got partly down the road and realized that there was just no there there, that it was a, had a prosaic explanation, and we were satisfied with that, and we didn't go any further than we may not even bother writing a paper on it. It depends on if there's a lessons learned of some kind. You
0: know, now, with, it, with the goal, know, though, is to have uh, congressional hearings, right? Something, like that. Something along those lines?
2: Well, you know, what, what, we're, what we're trying to do is just document – the fact, as, as as we understand it, that unidentified aerial phenomena represent a, a threat to aviation safety, and that uh, um, they need to be looked at much more closely uh, in that perspective, um, and we have the uh, I don't know the deputy director of human factors for NASA is on our staff. Uh, Dr. Hines is uh, former uh, chief of the space and human factors office at Ames Research Center. Um, and Brian was originally I guess when I met him, he was working with the Aviation Safety Program office there at Ames so these are people who um you know feel that as an adjunct to their professional work that that this deserves a closer look and um uh uh and, and they've gone about it in a very careful and rational way, and it's my job to make sure that we stay careful and rational and and we protect the credibility of the of these people who are um, um, hmm. Take, doing what everybody would like them to do, which is take a serious look at this situation.
0: So is it a matter of compiling the best, most solid cases you can get to bring to Congress? Uh, or, you know, how many cases does it take before you go, okay, we're going to do a big campaign to well, get this out there?
2: Our role right now is activism towards the U.S. aviation community. We've done some work. uh General Accounting Office had um, uh, some of us working for... Uh, uh, I think it was Department of Homeland Security examining uh, um, uncorrelated penetrations into U.S. air defense zones, um, and that was that was a bit interesting for what what little bit my the guys and my staff with the clearances could tell me. Um, it was interesting. Um, so in that sense, yeah, we've been involved with some things there, mainly bringing our credibility and experience of our staff to bear. Jacques L.E. is on our executive advisory committee. We have we have other people as well who are experienced in, in dealing with this topic inside of government. Um, so in the end, really what we do is we serve an activist role for the aviation community right now. That is our prime focus is assisting the aviation community and uh, coming to grips with this aspect of, of their experience, which, um, which they haven't yet.
0: Um, has there been any case uh, that has stood out to you more than others as being like, okay, this is this has got to be blank alien something you
2: know <laughs> well you know there's there's a number of them uh we have 3400 of these cases uh we I, i'm 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 reminded of a case from 1926 where a a pilot uh uh claimed that he'd been accosted by uh a number of flying manhole covers um in 1926 uh so uh and then you see sort of an escalation a bell curve of reports as, as we get more aircraft into the air uh, a bell curve of more aviation related reports and then eventually we field a global air force with centralized reporting and then you just see this dearth of reports coming back from, from all around the world of the number of reports in the early mid forties. You can just see it rising and rising and then it climbs even more as we consolidate our global presence and, and accumulate more data and put more aircraft in the air that have more experiences with unusual aerial phenomena of a variety of kinds. Um, so we we know what's going on out there and and it, it's it's been documented all all along. Our job is to continue documenting it uh, in the best way possible. Some of the best cases uh might involve the tehran Iran case of nineteen seventy six september of nineteen seventy six uh, that involved electromagnetic effects on a number of aviation, a, aviation systems on the aircraft and, and weapon systems as well um, there were um there are other cases uh, the uh, uh uh the recent case in England involving uh uh, uh I think it was Air Um anyway, uh there was a, a uh a sighting of a very large unidentified aerial phenomena over England um that was apparently detected by French radars and uh um uh it was estimated to be a mile across. Uh, oh. which quite big seen by uh, two different aircraft on two different air corridors from different angles and d- uh, detected by British um, uh, UK radars as well. Uh, that's that's a fairly important case. I think the uh, the O'Hare case of chi- Chicago of uh, 2006, November 6, 2006, also an important case, uh, involved a UAP showing up over uh, uh, the sea terminal at O'Hare International and staying there for about 25 minutes and uh, involving a number of aviation professionals in the course of their jobs, reporting and engaging the, the issue of something very unusual in their um, in their domain uh, during their.
0: Did you careers. and Jeff work on that together?
2: Um, I think we did a little bit. Did we, Jeff? Yeah,
1: yeah, we did. Uh, David and I were, uh, I guess, pretty much one of the first guys to jump on the, the photographs that surfaced out and trying to. Separate the 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 crap from Shinola and um, uh, and came away with one that was fairly decent. Uh,
2: you guys did a fine you guys did a fine job, and and I was able to write in my section regarding the photographic evidence that uh, at the time of the writing I had not come across a, a, a credible example of what might have been seen there. Uh, yeah, a, a, a photograph worth getting behind, but. But uh, you guys did a really good job at just you know uh, taking the lead on that. That's not something my organization has a lot of strength with in the digital field. Dr. Ames is an expert at, uh film analysis, analog cameras. Right. But, uh, right. But, <clears throat> well, the big know, biggest
1: thing I was I was kind of upset about with that was that we thought we had a a fairly uh, a fairly decent uh, cell phone shot, and uh, and then as we told you, it ended up looking like it was possibly tampered with, which could mean anything um i still think it's one of the more interesting shots i've come across in 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 the past 10 years or so but but what do you do with something that you think has been legitimately tampered with but but the image itself of the of of the UO doesn't look like it's been tampered with i mean that's just a real bizarre situation for us and um and that's why we had to walk away from it essentially
2: you know, it, you make the right call about credibility and image. So, live to fight another day. Pick your hills to die on. You know, yeah, and example not credibly risk your your credibility on it. Then don't stick your neck out. I mean, you're, we're so always walking the, the leading edge on these things anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, you got that right. Uh, yeah, you know, and, then, and you know, another good good example is like the Mexican uh, case from two thousand four. The the FLIR case, uh, that's an oh, example yeah. of a case that has a prosaic explanation, but it won't die. Uh, right. It continues to be promoted, and and uh, um, and it's unfortunate we have a number of those things floating out out floating around out there, and it's hard to knock them down. People really want to believe around this stuff, and my my opinion is, you know, there's enough real cases out there. There's no reason to, you know, I mean, if uh, it isn't the real deal, don't bother. You know,
1: Well, was it, Ted? Was there any um? Was there any further follow up on O'Hare to see if anything more came out of that besides the radar data and the uh, I, I know there, there was probably some pilots that that talked to you about it. I mean, was there anything further on that that might have um, there, there was been nobody, something we didn't know
2: let, let me let me offer it to you this way for you, you and your listeners. There was nobody that we spoke to in the capacity that you just described that was willing to be associated with the report. Oh, okay. 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 Um, and, and, and in that regard, uh, the general answer is that those people do exist and they're wow. out there and, and we did find them and, um, uh, and nobody wanted to stake their career on, on that experience. And hmm. it's it's it's, un, it's understandable. I wrote a paper on it about bias and underreporting in the aviation community, and and it, and, and it, we didn't lose anything necessarily, other than the activist power of hearing their voices. Well, here's the other question I got
1: for you um, about that, and this is one that I get asked a lot whenever it gets brought up on a message board somewhere. Uh, is that so many people saw it? So many people were there to see it. It was there for a long, extended period of time as UFO sightings go. Uh, why do you think we don't have more visual evidence of it?
2: Um, you know i I have to tell you i I've done a few experiments. I've got a nice little Canon G10 power shot camera. And, um, I've made some experiments with shooting pictures of things flying by that have fairly predictable trajectories. Uh And unless it's something that you practice doing, it's very hard to do. Um, that's my first point. Um, my second point is oftentimes when you're confronted by things that are really strange, the last thing you think of doing is the most obvious, which is taking a picture of it. Right. Um, you know, so I would offer that that's a potential, and then I would also suggest that. Uh, uh, well, um, there were, I believe, uh, well, I all have a friend who went to the terminals there and asked a few questions amongst the vendors there, and nobody wanted to even talk about it. Right. Um, so there's a certain amount of uh, fear that goes along with this, also. So I guess there's a number of regulating factors, you know, in in. And mindsets around this 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 topic that kept the cameras from pointing and getting what they should have got, and 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 there may well be some authentic pics out there that nobody wants to put out. You know, yeah, Um, yeah. um, It's frightening. I I think. I mean, do you think there's any
1: truth to uh, to Ackroyd's statement back then that he's got video?
2: Well, I haven't seen anything develop from that. Yeah, me either. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I you know, and, I, and I'm not sure that it helps necessarily too much in, in this case to, to go too much further. Um, we learned a lot. Well, we saw the FAA's reaction to it. Um, we saw oh, yeah. uh, uh, when we when we finished our report, uh, we distributed to the appropriate channels in the aviation community before we publicized it waited to allow them time to respond and nobody responded huh. um, uh, nobody wanted to talk about this uh... and then we, wait, and we waited for a couple of months to let them digest it and then uh... uh then we went ahead and did a public release of the of, the, of our research right. um, but uh... so we learned an awful lot of, about what's going on and what isn't inside the FAA what what uh, various uh, uh, air carriers are faced when when these events occur. If you can imagine, uh, once Peter Davenport and Company went public with that case about, I don't know that Pete got the report, gave us three or four days head start on it, and then went public and went to like the Chicago Tribune and brought John Hillkerdich in and some other folks. And right. uh, the bl- the blitz on the facilities there uh, uh, must have been just extreme. Uh, to the point where it it was interfering with day-to-day business. Um, So so the the effects that these events have when when they occur at these facilities can be really... um, It it doesn't help the UFO community. It it, it causes these folks to bunker up. Um, uh, They're getting called by every self-styled UFO investigator out there. You know, um, and and they're trying to conduct a business, and they got a ramp tower operator who's involved in all of this, and she's just trying to do her job, and you know, so there's a, a lot of things to consider here that that uh, require a softer touch, I think, and a little more finesse in, in the approach. Um, right, right. And that's, Still, and that's, I, kind I, that's of that's what, just interesting
1: case, though. Yeah.
0: Is there any way to tell if any of these things are just top secret military craft or anything like that? I mean, do, do you have any sort of percentage or even a guess?
2: Well, our rule with NARCAP, and we have a number of people who have the ability to discern um, certain types of profiles that, that might involve um, um, black projects of one type or another, and we, we avoid them like the plague. Um, as, as I said, we have a, a 3,400 case file that goes back to the, to the... Pretty much the entire history of powered flight, and and so we have certain types of profiles that we're looking for, and when those things occur, those are the ones that we we tend to primarily react to, um, and those that tend to be the most productive because we already sort of know what the profile is. Um, um, and we're looking for radar data. We're looking for all kinds of things. We did a little speculation around though here, um, uh, the incident, and uh, there, uh, Larry Lemke and. Uh, uh, the um excellent excellent researchers and good members of um, uh, uh, did a little speculation around the idea of magnetohydrodynamic drives because they were looking for an explanation on how when the, the object O'Hare left, it burned a hole through the clouds and left a tunnel there. Uh, I don't know if the hole was burned or not, but, but it was a coherent tunnel through the clouds that stayed there for some minutes. Um, so we, we were trying to do a little bit of extrapolating around that uh, in terms of known technologies that might be responsible for that. But I couldn't explain why uh, 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 a magneto-hydrodynamically-driven U.S. black ops project is hovering 1,000 feet over the sea terminal at O'Hare International Airport before I've gotten everybody. I, I don't have an answer to that. Um, so, if you- so in my opinion, a lot of these things are not black projects. They're...
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Whatever they are, about not
0: bad. Well, uh, if if you get the aviation community to pay attention, I mean, if you have your utopian scenario, and they're like, "Yes, okay, great," what then? what What comes next?
2: Uh, continue uh, documentation. We, we work with the, the uh, FAA's. Um, Aviation Safety Reporting System, which is a confidential reporting database, uh, where pilots and air controllers can report incidents, uh, without punitive measures taken against them. It's a way the FAA hedges and doesn't lose safety data because people are afraid to report it. Um and we've, we've been involved, uh, Linda Connell, the director there, is aware of our program and supportive and, uh, we've, uh, we've been involved on, on the edges of that since, I don't know, 2001, I suppose. Um, um, and so what we need to do is collect more data, real-time data if we can. Uh, we need pilots and air controllers to be willing to take the risk uh, to make a confidential report, either, either to the ASRS or to NARCAP. Uh, and we follow the same ASRS protocols in protecting uh, uh, the identity of reporters. Um, um, but we need to know about these things quickly because uh, the uh, FAA turns over the tower recording tapes and radar radar uh, collection systems every um, couple of weeks. So the sooner we hear about it, the sooner we can move, we can get FOIA requests out and pull in the uh, uh, radar data, and which comes uh, as encrypted hard copy, and you need to have a pretty good uh, skill set in order to uh, uh, reconstruct the, the radar screens, but we do have the capability of doing that from
0: hard copy. So. You know what I find interesting? You know, uh, we spoke with um, Dr. Gregory Matloff, uh, who's an astrophysicist who's worked with NASA um, and written books with um, uh, uh, Les Johnson. And, um, you know, you've got a couple of guys from NASA on your board. So you know, what is it like for these guys who are in NASA who are essentially trying, I mean, is it masturbatory that they're trying to find life out there when they really secretly believe that it's already here?
2: Well, you know, the, the, the question is is what they secretly believe. Um, and, and I think these people, the, the folks I work with, are scientists, and they believe that, that more research needs to be done in this field. Uh, they don't necessarily believe that there is alien visitation going on. Uh, they do believe that there are um, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, many of them probably natural, and some of them maybe not. Um, that, that are not accounted for, that, that, that pilots and air controllers have been reporting and that radars have been detecting. Um, and, and in this regard, uh, they're very concerned. At the, the the issue of aviation safety, a, a number of these cases, we've written some papers on this, uh, where uh, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena of one kind or another get close to aircraft and we see failures of, of communication systems and navigation systems of uh, 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 autopilots Disengaging, um, uh, 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 cockpit resource management being affected. You know, if the crew's looking out the window, who's flying the plane? Um, uh, a whole variety of things going on that 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 indicate that this these particular types of problems have yet to be addressed adequately. Uh, uh, that pilots and air crews have yet to really be prepared for the types of experiences they may that may occur now we've done some surveys out there, and our estimate is that these things occur probably one in every five careers um, so you know, there, there is uh, it's kind of similar to wind shear um, it happens once every six or seven careers and 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 yet a good deal of money is spent on wind shear detection um, and those wind shear detectors were designed by Russell Targ. <laughs> hmm. and some of you might know and recognize
1: yeah.
2: Russell Targ and Hal off from SRI. So. Very interesting. So, uh, yeah, so you're kind of weird closed loop. Russell came to our our NARCAP meeting at the uh, conference at MUFON this summer, and uh, Dr. Dr. Bernie Heiss came walking in with Russell Targ in tow, and I was a bit surprised to see him there. Very interesting, really. Very interesting, man.
0: Are you going to be collaborating with him?
2: Um, he, he might be involved with our organization a little bit. Um, uh, uh, he, he, he's very interested in the aviation safety approach and, and the opportunity to collect data under a specific regime, so gives you a chance to really kind of look at what's going on. Um, we, we've tried to set up uh, NARCAP programs that are similar to our own in Canada and Mexico to uh, sort of normalize data collection so we can get a view of what's going on in the region as a whole, and this is sort of an ongoing process of developing these things. Uh, Again, we have the woo-woo factor. Uh, uh, You're you're trying to find uh, hard-nosed data collectors, um, and you oftentimes end up with UFO believers and alien believers who are not quite as discerning as you need them to be to uh, take on the work uh, and represent the effort.
0: Do you know, are there there other um, research groups, the caliber of yours, working in other areas of... um (laughs) U-pology. <laughs> Ufology, what whatever yes. what it's called.
2: Yes, yes, there, there, there are some really good efforts. Uh, the French government um, expanded their UAP research team here about a year ago. Uh, uh, Jean Jacques Delasco stepped down, and this is at their CNES, their their equivalent of NASA, their space program, um, and they do have a, a UAP research group that's been active more or less since the early 60s, if I recall. was founded by Claude Poirier, if I remember correctly. Um, And uh, uh, their latest incarnation has seen a a rise in funding and staff. uh, And we've had sort of a collaborative relationship with them all along with NARCAP. And same thing goes with the Peruvians and the Chileans. They all have official groups, and we've been... Uh, on, on a more or less cordial relationship with uh, those organizations.
0: What about in terms of um, alien abduction and maybe a you know group of university level you know scientists or psychologists looking into that? Because essentially, what I'm trying to figure out here is you know we always hear this complaint that um, mainstream science and all of this you know they're they're not interested and why aren't they? And maybe the answer is they are, they're just not telling us about it because we're a bunch of screw-ups.
2: You know. Um, in science the leading edge is always pulled back by the the more conservative middle. Does that Do you understand what that means? Yeah. That that those that are taking the risks out on the edge tend to be scorned and ridiculed by those who are a bit safer and able to take pot shots.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, and, and this is true in many human endeavors and it's particularly true in science. Uh uh you have people like Hal Putoff and others who are working on zero point energy while other other people in science have never even bothered looking into zero point energy because they consider it a fad and, and nonsense. Um we'll see, you know. But but the fact is is that uh uh the guys in the middle will never never crack the code, they'll never figure it out, whatever it is they're trying to do. It's it's the people taking the risks up front. Um uh, bringing good ideas and critical thinking and good skills to the to bear on the topic, um, so the issue of science looking carefully at these things. Well, yes, science does look carefully at these things when there's something to look at, and it takes a certain type of scientist, a, a person who's like, like Dr. Haynes, who's who's um, essentially curious and willing to bring the tools of his study to bear. And in, in Dick's case, it's uh, uh, perceptual psychology and visual acuity. Um, other scientists have other, other purviews that, that that they can bring to bear um, I'd like to see more science done, I'd like to see it done in an organized fashion, I'd like to see some symposia that are more or less focused on a couple of uh, fairly basic topics um, and, and, and so to set some foundation for further conversation on it um, and there's a lot to be engaged um, so um, in that sense, um, for example, John Max studied uh, his struggle uh, with Harvard uh, in his pursuit of doing um, abduction research. He'd been quite stimulated by Bud Hopkins and uh, others to uh, uh, bring his skill set to bear, and, and what he found was something very interesting. And uh, doctors Colley and Beck and others have followed him in his footsteps, and, and, uh, uh, and good work is being done Uh uh, around this topic of psychology and abductions or encounters with non-ordinary realities or altered states of consciousness or whatever it is you want to call it that people are experiencing. I'm not one to judge. I don't know what they're experiencing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Do, does Dr. Haynes find a conflict of interest uh, with doing this stuff? On the one hand, you know, really seriously looking into this and um, and sort of NASA's Laughing off, you know, sneering at, you know, face on Mars or moon anomalies or whatever. And not, not to say that they're not sneer-worthy, <laughs> but that um, just, you know, they, they take the attitude of the the debunker in that sense. And and now, you know, clandestine or however he's doing this, he's actually looking into this stuff. Well, I guess it wouldn't be clandestine. They know about it, right?
2: Well, they they very much know about it. He's been working on this in the open inside of NASA. In some cases, the work they tasked him with was specifically related to UFO studies, Um, trying to determine whether or not what pilots were seeing were actual physical objects in 3D space or a byproduct of the physiology of flying. Um, uh, He was tasked with that very early on in his career, and and he's been involved with it ever since. And he's kept a credible, respectful... um, attitude about developing data. Um, and he's been very careful about it. And, um, if, if anybody is a patriot in the classic sense, I would say Dick Haynes is, uh, he, he keeps his cards close to his chest about those things that he's not to speak of. And as far as I know, he's never told me anything I shouldn't know. Um, and there are things he knows that I shouldn't know. Um, and, and so in that sense, I, I he's been very, very careful. Um, and yet we've had some access, um, through, through, uh, his uh, contacts at NASA that, uh, without stressing the system, they've been very amenable to, to what we're trying to do and, and the image that we've tried to promote. On the last e- episode of the X-Files, uh, KTVU2 in uh, the Bay Area ran a show about NARCAP, a 10-minute a, a segment about NARCAP. And, uh, Linda Connell, the director from the uh, ASRS group there, uh, uh, was interviewed and acknowledged that UAP reports come to, through her office from time to time and recognized our work. And um, uh, and then later, uh, Brian Smith, at the time the director of the Aviation Safety Program Office at Ames, um, uh, kept a copy of that segment spooled up in his office for anybody that had any questions. They could come in. Find out right away what it is that he was, you know, what that was about. So, uh, so we've had some support, and of course, none of none of this goes on without the approval of the NASA Public Relations Office. Nobody speaks on behalf of NASA or, or about NASA or relative to NASA without their approval. So, um, in some sense, they're okay with with what we're doing, and um, you know, to a, to a small degree, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Are there, are there any groups within Ufology that you um, do like what they're doing? I don't even want to say endorse, but you kind of like what they're like. I'm thinking like Leslie Keene with her uh, Better Than Greer and Bassett disclosure movement. <laughs> uh, does that do anything well, for you? You know,
2: you, know, yeah, you know, Leslie joined our organization when we first kicked off oh, well, in 2000, and she's been, a, she's been a loyal NARCAP member and a booster for our work. She's referred to us a number of times in her articles that, that she's been published in and, and I've had the, I had the privilege of working with her on the Coalition for Freedom of Information project. I, I wrote a bit of the, the content for the website and participated in some of the discussions and decision making around that. She's, at the time, uh, it was under the aegis of, uh, Podesta McLean and John, um, John Podesta's brother. They were, um, helping, uh, I think the sci-fi channel was footing some of the money and, um, looking into UFO-related uh, research. Um, so uh, Leslie went after the Ketchberg case, I, I guess, uh, with NASA, and NASA lost that lawsuit and was ordered to surrender up a few boxes of documents, which I have not heard whether they came through or not, and also to pay Leslie's uh, uh, legal fees to the tune of some $50,000. Wow. So, uh so that that is a good effort. The Coalition for Freedom of Information. That's a good effort. I put my name on it. it it's a good effort. I uh, 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 there, there's some good ideas in there. The website needs further development. We're all kind of like you know you know every, all of this is a labor of love. Leslie's not making any money doing this. I'm not making any money doing this. Uh, uh, we're just trying to do the right thing. And and uh, the CFI site is particularly good. Um, um, so, Coalition for Freedom of Information dot org uh, definitely uh, want to get behind those folks. Um,
0: Do you think disclosure is uh, I, even possible?
2: Well, you know it's well it, 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 if it, if it is what everybody thinks it is, um, you know, I mean, let's let's find some common terms here. Um, a non-human intelligence uh, making incursions into the Earth domain then um, some of the unusual observations that people are reporting and detecting um, are involve this non-human intelligence. Um, can people handle that? Um, I don't think our, our, the body politic believes they can. Um, I, I, I think they probably can. Um, it kind of depends on how it goes down, how, how the information actually gets out there. Um, and what we're seeing, I think, with with, with England and recently uh, Denmark, I believe, um, the Danish Air Force released a bunch of UFO files in the last week or so, and uh, uh, the French released a bunch of their files and more to come. Um, the British have been releasing their files pretty steadily. Brazilians have been doing the same. Uh, the Chileans gave us a bunch of their files that I published on the NARCAP site, um, so, you know, there's sort of a grassroots movement to at least get to elevate the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that has to happen. And once uh, conservative, responsible, credible individuals acknowledge that they do see unusual things from time to time and that further work needs to be done to resolve just what those observations are, and then a sincere attempt is made at doing that, I think, yes, then people will be ready to, to engage the idea of a non-human intelligence. Being present, if that's what the conclusion is.
0: Are people reporting um, generally the same things in all these countries? Have you looked at a number of reports from the various countries that have released documents?
2: More or less, the, the threads of commonality are, are striking and, and over time. You know, going back to the 40s, it, we have these common geometric forms and uh, simple geometric forms. You have spheres and triangles and rectangles and oblate spheroids and um, cylinders. Um and it's been that way all the way back to the forties and um and then you have unusual light phenomena. Um so in a sense yeah there's commonalities across uh many countries. Has the technology
0: um, evolved at all over that time?
2: Well you know I I I don't know. It seems to be the same. It it seems to be the same things doing the same thing, um, behaving in the same way. Um uh, it does seem that more so people are in, seeing in, it,
0: mile-long triangular craft now than I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, the, the, the stories seem to be supporting uh, macro observations, like, like the, the British pilots with their big disc and uh, um, or cylinder. I'm not sure which it was. It was a disc. the um, large cylinders are another one, quite large ones. Um, uh, and I, I don't know what that implies. I'm not sure what those forms are about. And, um, but... but they are quite intriguing, and i and I think that uh, it's about time we took it all a little more seriously. We have some really good reports uh, uh, america West five six four uh, out of albuquerque uh, or the albuquerque uh, ARTCC, you know, one of their controllers is that they have the tape and everything he uh, he he has a he has a pilot who's seeing something unusual. And the whole crew's piled up in the front of the plane looking at it, and uh, and uh, they call NORAD, and the, the NORAD ends up detecting the thing, and it's un- it doesn't have a transponder. It's quite large. Um, uh, 747's about 200 feet long, and uh, the crew estimated this at 400 feet, which is always suspect. It's hard to estimate distance, but that's what they
0: guessed.
2: Hmm. Um, it was a- described as a long uh, cigar-shaped something with a, a series of... Uh, um, flashing strobe lights running down its length. And it was detected by NORAD on NORAD radars. And uh, um, and there you have it. It was was heading northbound, and if you look at the trajectory, it may have had to cross into U.S. airspace from Mexico. Um, Does it
0: feel as though this is building to anything, or does it, looking back across this large span of time back to the 40s, has it always been just pockets of uh, UFO waves here and there? And it, and it always feels like it's building to something at all times, and then it never does.
2: Well, you know, it, it, there's, there just it, it, if 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 I was suspicious that that this was indicative of the activities of a non-human intelligence, I would be I would be suspecting that it is a very busy non-human intelligence, that it is busier than heck, and that that our detections of it um, through. Um, um, just through the aviation cases alone where you see this bell curve is actually our awareness rising. It isn't the, uh, the, the, the presence of more of them showing up from 1940 to 1945. You know, it, it's, it's, it's our awareness of them is rising. So in terms of how active this thing might be, that, that would be a way to look at it that instead of Suspecting that it's coming and it's more active, that it's just been very active all along, and that's where folks like doctors, Colley and Beck, and others, um, uh, Mac and others, may come in mean, handy in helping um, divine what those things might be about hmm. uh, and whether they're actually related to something involving this phenomenon or not.
0: Hmm. Um, Jeff.
2: So. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm good. <laughs>
2: Did, okay, then I guess did, 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 I, did, did, I, did I did I skirt that minefield well enough there? Did I? How was <laughs> it doing there, dancing the I thought that was that perfect. That was, good. that was
1: great. Absolutely
0: okay, perfect. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Let's see if you can skirt this one. Uh, this will be my my final question, which is: um, do, do you have a dog in the alien abduction fight? Do you do you prefer a John Mack's work over Bud Hopkins or Hawkins over Mac? And what do you think of? hypnosis as a tool?
2: Okay, well, you know, I'll I'll take on the hypnosis thing first, okay? Um, It seems really interesting to me that the CIA sat on the board of the False Memory Foundation and that that the idea of debunking hypnosis as a tool for engaging human memories seemed to come along about the same time that people were using hypnosis to try and engage people who had claimed to have had encounters with non-human intelligences. Uh, prior to that, hypnosis seemed like a pretty good tool for reconstructing crime scenes and, you know, picking up the last two digits on a on a license plate or helping somebody remember how something happened. Even if it wasn't quite admissible in court, it was certainly considered a tool um, for all kinds of things: behavior modification, um, all kinds of other stuff. So, uh, in my opinion, I, I, I think that. Um, hypnosis really involves the sincerity of the hypnotized person the skill of the hypnotizer themselves and and uh... and then what it is they're trying to deal with which may not be so easy to tease out using those methods there, there are state-specific memories where you can't access them unless you're in a similar state to when you acquired the memory there, there are other types of memories out there that, that uh, require certain types of guidance guidance to even engage um, and uh... uh uh, so it's tricky work, and and I, I I don't know that that I would ever I don't think that court testimony ought to stand necessarily on hypnosis, but but I think that as a tool for trying to understand what happened, in the right hands, the right person in the right situation is probably quite useful. Um, so that's 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 the first part of it. The next part is the uh, the, the, the difference uh, the discussion of Hopkins and Mac, and uh, I, I when I first came into public light with uh, the U.S. ufology thing. Um, uh, it was after we founded NARCAP. We, uh, Graham Birdsell, who's um, passed away, uh, invited uh, NARCAP to do a presentation at his UFO magazine conference in 2001. And uh, John Mack and Bud Hopkins and a number of other folks, Nick Pope and a, n- a number of other people were there at that conference. And I had the privilege to meet Dr. Mack, who seemed like a very fine human being and a very... Uh, very careful man. Uh, his his approach to trying to engage this discussion of human encounters with non-ordinary realities and, and non-human intelligences, I, I think, were sincere. And I think his work was provocative. Um, but de- his detractors, uh, for the most part, it seemed to me, were far more concerned with the image of Harvard. And then they were with uh, the uh, the the curiosity and the willingness to engage data wherever it leads uh, that the objectivity that they so seem to espouse on one hand and not live out on the other. Um, Alan Gershowitz weighed in on this I think um, I, I think he represented uh, Mac uh, in in dealing with the uh, board of censure at Harvard and uh for some reason, I'm thinking of Daniel Sheehan as well. I think he was involved with that also yeah. but um uh the uh but the end result was that that uh, uh John was allowed to continue doing this work and and i think it was good work um and i i i think that um he, he, john you know uh was influenced by stanislav groff uh and and other folks in the transpersonal school of psychology uh which is a very powerful and i think a useful uh, style of psychology for people who are, um, who, who seem to be, uh, dealing with with these types of events in a personal way and aren't able to integrate it. Um, uh, so I would recommend that anybody out there is actually really wrestling with this on a personal level that they take a look at the transpersonal schools and take a look at the work of John Mack. Uh, and I think we wouldn't have John out there if it wasn't for Bud Hopkins. I don't think. I, I think Bud, Bud did it. Bud is a very, very bright man in his own right, and um, it's easy to criticize from afar, but sit in the room with the guy and try to deal with, uh, 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 try and make your case. Uh, He's very logical and very critical person, a very careful person, Uh, and and simply because he's an artist or he doesn't have a PhD does not disqualify his his skills of discernment one bit in my mind. Um, I don't know that everybody he's dealing with is exactly what they present themselves to be. I don't know that Bud is right in every example or engagement of the topic, but, but there's a there with that topic, and it needs to be looked at much more closely, and we and owe Bud and Jonna uh, a great deal uh, in in promoting that conversation, and people like Dr. Colley and Janet Colley and uh, Tom Beck, um, Dr. Beck, um, who continue in that line of work. Uh, there are others out there, but those names come to mind. They're my friends, so...
0: Well, what what do you say then to the uh, myriad psychologists who say that it's not hypnosis is not the proper tool for this? Uh, there does seem to be no, a um, body of people who say that it's not, and they're, they're not CIA. They're just
2: people. well. Here, here's here's the perspective. I think with transpersonal psychology, they're looking at the idea that a person has PTSD. That's probably one of the prime indicators of exposure to a non human uh intelligence in a personal way, uh I would expect would be the that a person would be scarred. They'd have PTSD and they would dissociate. Um uh but process oriented psychologists, other schools of psychology deal with these things in other ways. And I in my opinion, they don't go quite as deep into things as transpersonal psychologists do. Um and and even then when they're working using working uh a somebody through when understanding what these things are about, uh, acknowledging PTSD, they don't always do uh, hypnotic regression or hypnosis at all. Um, there are other ways to work and release uh, uh, memories. Um, uh, and, and, and a lot of times people are coming with their memories intact. They don't need hypnosis. They remember it quite quite well exactly what it is that's on their mind, and, and they're quite traumatized by it. So other techniques like EMDR and um and other types of therapies, some of the experimental therapies using entheogens um, uh, a number of different approaches to engage this this discussion um... that i think are valid um, but the primary thing to understand is that if somebody's been exposed to this sort of thing uh... The, the first thing to look for is trauma and uh... hypervigilance
0: sure but but okay but i just want to get back to hypnosis for a sec because So is it a coincidence that that people who go to Mac and Leo Sprinkle have uh, sort of happy-go-lucky experiences and people who go to Hopkins and Fowler have negative experiences, which reflect the therapist's own views on these things?
2: Well, you know, I've listened to a number of Mac's um, sessions with different people, um, and I didn't find him to be leading people at all that they were engaging what they they truly felt with their own memories um, and and in some cases uh, uh the, the traumatic memories um the the there there is always the potential that that is what's going on that, that that there's confabulation or lying or or attention getting or or that the idea of an alien abduction is a little bit easier to stomach than the idea that daddy did it mm. you know <laughs> um um, and so there's always room for that, and I, I think it's up to the individual therapist to really be discerning enough to understand uh, that, that there's a full scope of experiences that humans can have that result in trauma, and one of those experiences seems to be involved these things that, uh, that, that 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 tend to well they manifest as what Mac and, and Hopkins were looking at. Um, they're real enough for the person involved. Uh, they, they they carry quite a charge from the individual involved. And I think that, you know, uh, looking at that individual from a perspective of post-traumatic stress disorder is probably a good way to begin trying to understand what they're dealing with and how to go about it. Right. And hopefully even a process-oriented psychologist can understand that. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to uh, get to tonight?
2: Well, don't look up. Just don't look up, okay? I mean, I've been, you know... Don't look up, guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, uh, I, Jeremy, I, I really appreciate the work you do out there. I don't generally do a lot of media, but I've enjoyed getting to know you. Uh, you have a great radio personality and a great voice. And okay. Jeff, we, we did a little bit of work before, and I'm really, really happy that, that uh, uh, we got a chance to at least be on speaking terms. And, uh, yeah, me too. Um, so, And if any of you guys get out here to Hawaii or if anybody in listener range wants to contact me and come out and swim with dolphins, uh, it won't cost them a thing uh, other than their air pairs, just come out and do it. Um, oh, I'll be back. Um,
1: Don't you worry.
2: Yeah, you come and <laughs> do that. You come and you can do that, Jeremy. There's, there's uh, plenty of dolphins to go around, and, uh, um, and it's all beautiful. So, uh, um, Other than that, I answer all emails through uh, ted-row at org. Um, and through my website at NARCAP.org. If anybody has any questions, if there's any aviation folks out there with an earshot that have something to tell me or would like to get involved with NARCAP, uh, we certainly could use that help. I'm also looking for administrative help with my organization, so if anybody wants to step on board and give me a hand, I, I could, I'm certainly willing to consider it. So drop me an email, and um, best of luck to everybody. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay. You got it, guys.
0: Jesus, stop that. Have some dignity, man. You're not a stupid DJ. You're not, you're not. You're not a stupid DJ. <laughs> you know, Jeff. <laughs> that was a fine discussion with the Ted Row. We we started talking about the woo-woo factor because that's something that bothers you and I. Yes. Um and the hoaxers and the charlatans also bother you and I. Oh yeah. Um, and the horrible, uh, researchers, the, uh, the limited researchers, Mm. the dopes of ufology also bother (laughs) you and I. But there's another thing that bothers the great we, the great us, the you and me. Right. Jeff. And that's, uh, people who, um, well, two things, really. One, people who just blatantly steal your ideas. (laughs) <laughs> like your little Richard, and uh, pretend that they came up with these great ideas themselves. Right. And um, people who, <laughs> uh, who who just don't seem to get it, and when you point out that they don't get it, 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 it it's like a game of, I know you are, but what am I? My uh, dad can beat
1: up your dad.
0: Yeah, well, it, it, it just it becomes ridiculous. They start accusing you of being the very thing that they're revealing themselves to be in the midst of argument. But let's get back to that first one, because uh, that's been bothering you for for a little bit now, which is people, it seems, stealing your ideas, stealing uh, my ideas, stealing show ideas, <laughs> and making them their own. And now it's hard to tell whether... Um, Someone is actually doing that, or if we're all, you know, a whole collective of people are are starting to come together with, and thinking the same way about these things, magically, and so it just feels like people are stealing our ideas. Um, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts there? What are my thoughts? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and do you want to name names? Um, I, th- I think that
1: uh, I think that we should let the audience kind of uh, do that little um, look see on their own, really. Okay. Um, you know, there there's a particular uh, blog out there that that I mean, it's been incredibly blatant, really, the past uh, you know x amount of months. That it seems like whenever you and I talk about a particular subject and we we kind of formulate some kind of interesting theory, or it's a subject or or a tandem subject to ufology that we make a postulation on, and and uh, and it's interesting. Um, and you know when you have a good idea, you know that when you have some kind of inspired thought uh, and you put it out there, um, you know, it's it's okay when people talk about it. But a lot of times what I'm seeing is you know, people having this stuff on blogs and all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know, they're acting like it's an inspired thought that they had. And you've had it on your blog for, you know, a month or just three months ago and all of a sudden it comes up and... And I think because maybe some people are better known in this field than others, um, then that's ends up being the person who um you know is is kind of i don't want to say credited with the idea because nobody really gives a shit who gets credited with it um, or at least I don't it's just it's kind of irking because I see that there are people out there who are pretty well thought of uh, in this field as being cutting edge and the new the new wave of of uh of ufology and really all i see is people who are lifting um ideas from every corner of ufology that they can find them and kind of putting them on their own blog almost in the same format and saying this is my idea and i'm like and then when you hear other people in the field other big names saying well i think these are the up-and-comers it's like where the hell are you getting this? That you know, I don't see where a lot of these people have any real inspired thought at all. Um it just seems to be amalgamations from the web or whatever the the newer theory is. And it's not believe me, it's not only errors all the time. It's other people's ideas too that I see someone say this and then boom, it's on a a major blog somewhere.
0: Yeah, well there's been a writer to our very own website saying um You know, a first-time poster saying, you know, well, I see it this way, and it sounds exactly like what I've been talking about and no one else, as far as I can tell, has been talking about since I released my damn book in 2003. So, you know, (laughs) I read for UFO Magazine. I mean, you know, what are the odds that this guy is using the same language and the same sardonic sort of stuff and all that and saying the exact same thing that I said years ago um, and have, you know expounded upon since then. Yeah. Uh, And it's not coming for me. I mean, you know, what are the odds that it's not (laughs) someone who like read UFO magazine a bunch of times, forgot where he read it. Like you had said uh, privately, that's probably what happened. And uh, you know, is, is writing it. And I guess there's something that's good about that. I mean, obviously we want our ideas out there or we want our ideas to mean something to people. But I just know that like when I talk about Jacques Vallée stuff, I cite Jacques Vallée. When I talk about David Biedney, if if I steal quotes from David Biedney, I attribute them to David Biedney, you know? I mean, that's just what you do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, and and I think I am I'm, I'm I'm already hearing grumblings that you know, from listeners that are probably going to think, "Well, you just you guys are just wanting credit for things." And it, 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 believe me, it's not that. No,
0: in fact, this particular person I know f- for a fact uh, does Care in that way. He does uh, listen to this show and other shows and think to himself, "Huh, uh, what can I do to top what a certain guest has done?" Right. You know, um, because I've had that conversation with him. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> and, you, know, you know, so I mean, it's blatant. It's just blatantly obvious. And and um, yeah, I you know, when you pointed it out to me, I thought, well, maybe we maybe <laughs> this is the case of we're all just sort of coming to the same conclusions at the same time, or. Generating new ideas but, at the same time, but then you, you pointed something very specific, I can. Out. and I went, "Oh my God, no, that's that's clearly he's stealing yeah. from you." And, and I'll, <laughs> I'll
1: and here's here's my here's Jeff's self-deprecation uh, um, uh, for the for the day. Um, and Jeremy can tell everybody this, and I don't mind him saying it. I I have a lot of inspired thought, but a lot of times it's very difficult for me to verbalize it. I can write it much better than I can verbalize it. And, and I don't – I have in the past related to Jeremy that I feel because he and David v- verbalize much better than I do a, a complex idea, whereas I have to think and write it so that I'm, sh- I'm sure that I'm being understood correctly. I told him, I said, I'm almost intimidated to a certain point to have discussions with you guys because I'm outgunned in that respect that I can't bang it out. In a, in a cohesive way like that because my ideas and theories tend to be so complicated that <laughs> I feel like I have to spiral in on them rather than just take a direct route uh, to get my point across. Um, so it's like if I feel that way about all of this stuff and then I'm looking at uh, different places around the web that seem to be lifting ideas, I'd be fairly... Um, dense about noticing that this is so blatantly obvious that I, even I'm noticing it. So that's kind of like when when I see that I think, oh, should I say something to Jeremy about this? Because is that is that going to look like we're being um, you know egotistical and and kind of uh, uh, tr- trying to be like a little bit righteous about? It? No, it believe me, it's not that. It's just at a certain time it just irks you. It's like, what do you think that was your freaking idea? Give me a break, you know. Well, I
0: mean, I have no, I, I have no proof that this has happened to me, but it feels like you know I've gone to like ATS mm-hmm. or back in the day, Book of Toth or one of the you know one of those um, message boards, and I've I've written sort of long diatribe, uh, quote unquote, deep responses to people, um, trying to give a different point of view or trying to help them flesh out what I think they're getting at or what either what they're doing right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'll get no response in response to what I said. Now, I'll, I'll put something that I think is long and well-thought-out and eloquent and all of that, you know, blah, oh, yeah. blah. And you get no response from yeah. people. Or are killers, then, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, we're thread killers. And, but then, you know, give it a couple of days, and suddenly people are using that same language. Yes. Uh, wrongly. <laughs> right. <laughs> because they don't have the, uh, the depth of experience or whatever. They haven't thought it out, whatever it is. But something about that, it it feels like something about what I had written spoke to them enough to try to steal it uh now i don't know that that's actually happening of course but it does feel like that sometimes
1: it know? does it does and, and and definitely
0: the thread killer part is true because i've definitely written things that are better thought out than than that warrant more response than nothing but people again it goes back to they they want to go back to like talking about reptilian shapeshifters and exactly you know things that that are just nonsense um because that they can get their wrap their little wiener brains around that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, uh, it's it's it is weird, and I think um, I think at least if if nothing else, when you are hanging around this long enough, and you have an inspired thought, you're kind of almost well. Is that stupid? Is that am I going to be thought crazy for for mentioning this and you go over it in your head and you go, No, it's actually hell, anything is possible, so let's throw it out there. And it takes a certain amount of 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 umph to to put it out there and say, This is what I think might be happening. What do you guys think? And either you'll get that's insane or um, you know, that kind of that, that kind of response. So it does take a certain amount of of thought and work to put it into writing and then to actually put it out there on your on your own back. And then to have somebody come along and just you know, say, yeah, that's good, let me use that, and they pull it off and then put it up on there. And then worse, to see commenters on their blog say, uh, oh, that's, a, that's so wonderful, you're such an amazing thinker. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, I don't want to be called an amazing thinker, but at least give me the credit for having the balls to put it out there first. It's like it takes a little bit of gumption in this field as volatile as it is. So I guess that's where it kind of irks me, is I don't care. As long as the answer gets found, I don't care how we get there, and I don't care who gets credit for it. But it's like, can you at least put an acknowledgement in there of something? Like, you know, I saw this here, or I thought about this there. No, it's always, it's like plagiarism to me.
0: Well, it is plagiarism, because if you're not acknowledging it, because what should be happening, I think, would be, that you read something that inspires you to expand on it or to think in a different way, and you acknowledge that that's what happened, and now here's your addition to what that person wrote. Right. Or your challenge to it, or whatever. You know, It should bring you to another place. It shouldn't be just you regurgitating the same thing and taking credit for it. Yes. That's not helping. That's not getting us anywhere.
1: No, no, no. It is really irking, though. I mean, that's...
0: And then there's the other thing of, you know, to me, it's like um, I, I wrote this uh, blog post that I, I put at Peritopia uh-huh. and, and at UFO Magazine's blog, ufomag.com blog, um, which I think is called To Put Contactees to Rest, It Takes a Village, dot, 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 analogy. Uh, clever title, right?
1: <laughs> yes. You are the Art Bell of writing. <laughs>
0: So, because I had been reading there about... And I've heard these bloggers talk about contactees and um, mm-hmm. and even, you know, uh, looking around on the web. And I think it could could have been Greg Bishop who had a thing about, our, you know, were contactees an artistic movement? Or did they really believe what they were saying? It's like, right. no, there's another... There's actually another answer, which is that they were, uh, how you say, crazy. I mean, there are two answers, really. One is blatant hoaxing. Um, and the other is that... When you are confronted with the anomalous, a certain section of people are going to either delusionally or intentionally uh, set themselves up as the ambassador to that thing. Um, And so I I wrote what I think is a pretty eloquent, again, I'll use that word. God um, damn, you're good, Vanny. Yeah, I'm so good that I have to use that same word again. (laughs) If obvious, I think, peace about that. And I got, you know, I figured Michael Horn would come on disguised as a woman or something right. and bash me. But no, in fact, he didn't have to. My fellow writers at UFO Magazine took that mantle. Oh. Um, and two of whom want to write like I do. Two of whom have told me, we think you're a great writer. Separately, they've told me this, and we wish we could write like you. Well, okay, one way that you can write like me <laughs> is, is to not be wrong all the time. <laughs> what, what, no, no, no. Come on. Oh. I kid. I kid the writer. You egotistical
1: um, bastard.
0: No, but I'll just deal with the one guy. His name's Mike Good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe he didn't write that. I'm pretty sure he did. And may, may, maybe he'll hear this and correct me. But I'm pretty sure he told me he wanted to write like me. And, you know, lo and behold, he, um, he does have kind of a smarmy, you know, ha ha ha, wink nudge attitude. Oh, like a jackass. Like a, like a jackass, like me, light, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 there's no real depth there. It's it's the illusion of depth. Okay. It's 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 saying a bunch of words that don't add up to anything, really, in the end. And and yet somehow I'm glib. Somehow on this thread, if you look at this thread, I mean, the through line is that I am wrong. I am the one who is being judgmental and closed off. There is nothing obvious. Um. And no, I mean, they're they're basically throwing away a basic psychology, psychology 101, to say, as as this Mike Good character does, um, that no, 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 all of these things are alien-influenced contactees, hoaxers, Gandhi, Martin Luther King. Oh, for Christ. All of these are on this alien agenda. You know, and I wrote saying, isn't this offensive? Is anyone finding this offensive? And, And all I got back were responses, again, about me. About how glib and closed off I am. I'm like, are you guys fucking retarded? And now if I say, are you guys fucking retarded? You know, them's fighting words. Well, right. so now you're, now you're arrogant. Right. No, you're fucking retarded, dude. <laughs> That's the end. And if you don't like that, then don't be retarded. Right. I mean, to me, there are certain things that are black and white, which is what defines the gray area. <laughs> and if we can't say, if we can't say that, 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 you know, uh, basic psychology exists in the world, then why are we writing about any of this? If everything is the one thing, and that thing essentially is God, because that's what you're saying. You're saying there's this alien intelligence that controls everything, like like puppet masters that controls everything from civil rights leaders to hoaxers to experiencers, etc., all things in between. Well, there's a word for that, and it's called God. So you've just created yourself a nice little religion. Well, no, you're just closed off and closed-minded and glib. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry.
1: Well, but, then, why didn't they explain their position then? What yeah. is their position if it's not that?
0: Well, to explain the position, you know, uh, you know, Mike Good uh, takes quotes from, um, you know, the Vedas and, and Albert Einstein, basically saying that all of life is an illusion. But once again, we're we're back to you're misunderstanding what the word illusion is. It's a necessary illusion. Is life an illusion? Yes. Have I had the big God experience where I saw the you know, world from all these other perspectives? Yes, so do I know that this is, in some sense, everyday life is bullshit? Yeah, but it's something that also has rules. It is the thing that you have to live. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it it doesn't do any good to say, it's an illusion, therefore nothing is true. No, 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 there are specific facts and truths within the illusion.
1: Right, try not getting up and going to work.
0: Yeah, try not getting up and going, exactly. Try telling a homeless guy, "Uh, dude, don't worry, it's an illusion. <laughs> right, try telling an abuse victim that. Try right. telling Iraq that. You know. Right. Don't worry, it's just an illusion. You'll be fine. Right. I mean, that that's all well and good in theory. and in 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 actuality, I mean, it's the illusion that we live and are. <laughs> yeah. So don't don't throw that out there like you know like that means something. It's meaningless to me. Yes. And and the reason that I know that is because uh help me out, Jeff. I, what what am I? I don't want to say smarter, deeper, any of that. I really don't <sighs> think, I just think that, that, I think I am of average means, <laughs> and this connotes uh, below average. Let's put it that way. Like, I really think any five-year-old uh, would not listen to that argument. I, honest to God, I mean, to me, it's the same argument as like Billy Meyer walking around with a fucking toy gun and models next to fake trees. I mean, everyone knows this. Everyone who, children know this. Children know that what they're looking at. And it, and it it takes an adult to theorize away what a fucking child knows. It takes a real adult to theorize that away.
1: Okay. <laughs> Take a drink now. Uh. Uh, I think that that the the crux of the issue. I mean, I understand why you're aggravated about the responses. I get that, and and you're. I think you're right. I think it's ridiculous. But I think the overall crux of the issue is 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 for the audience to understand what it is. Number one, they should read it. But number two, let me give you the summary of this. Essentially, the question posed by Jeremy is why are we still addressing the contact D thing uh, when so much of it has been proven to be garbage? Uh, and and why is this keep why does this keep getting hacked up in our face uh, time after time after time? And uh, you know, I've been saying for a long time, it's like, what is the point of engaging this at all anymore? But people still do. I mean, You've got the Jonathan Reed thing being brought up again. You've got uh, uh, Adamski being brought up time and time again. Meyer being brought up time and time again. And people fighting for it for days, for and against, uh, you know, when nobody wants to to leave the debate alone for a second and really examine the data that's there. That's been found, and you can use the Meyer case as a prime example. The, the photographs of near fake, uh, the uh, uh, the wedding cake ship fake.
0: But why are you people? Know. Why are people who like my writing, like my style, think I'm together and with it, and blah blah blah? Why are they fighting me over hoaxers and charlatans, and not upset about the hoaxers and charlatans? Why are they trying to incorporate that into their worldview right. instead of calling it what it is? What any again, what any five year old. Well, I would understand see,
1: see, here's the thing: uh, you've got this controversy brewing over this stuff, or that, that's still been going on for a long time. I think now that more people are coming to the paranormal, and it's obvious that more people are. I think that everybody, everybody who's been here, recognizes that. Okay, so when you've got bloggers out there that that's really all they do—they editorialize the subject, they write about it. They don't actually do anything, as in a hands on type of way, then you've got to realize that subjects like that, hoaxers like that, um, who are out there doing these things and generating controversy, that gives them something to write about. When you start peeling away the layers of the UFO onion, uh, you know, and you start tearing off, this is all stuff people want to write about. They want that controversy, they need that drama. And I think not only is your argument part of their drama, <laughs> but that subject matter is part of their drama. So, I mean, what I wrote in that post was, you know, essentially, why don't we stop arguing about this stuff? Because if we don't stop living the trash of the past, we're never going to get anywhere in this field. It's already stagnated to a large degree, Uh so if we don't get past this, there's plenty of interesting things to write about without addressing this crap. It's been put to bed. It's done.
0: And then your post got ignored, so that means it'll be coming up on someone else's blog as their own idea. Again,
1: it's the thread killer. So uh, it's the thread killer that will appear somewhere else, uh, and it will be, you know, we all should, should leave this shit in the past because it's crap, but... Uh, you know, and and, and believe me, I, that was a hard lesson learned for me because I was up against the Meyer case for a long time until you realize that most people get it, and those who don't have bigger problems than belief in the Meyer case. You know what I'm saying? So right. at that point, you just say, "Okay, I'm done. I walk away from this because it's not worth the time and effort that I'm putting into it."
0: It's dumb on top of indignant, or indignant on top of dumb. I should say. Well, it's
1: an insult to intelligence, is what it is, because not, any but, but any child can I, look at this. I, I, crap.
0: I mean, like these posts. You know, somebody posted there. Um, Leslie Gunter posted. Um, you know what? Well, well, what? What? You know, I after of course after I said I'm going to leave this thread and I'm not going to look back and I'm not going to respond anymore. Then she had the fucking balls to chime in <laughs> and say, if people know me, you know that I can't just sit back and yeah, of course you can't when I fucking left the conversation. But okay. So she chimes in and says, um, and says what? And says, well, this, that, that basically I sound like Bush. I sound (laughs) judgmental and dictatorial. You know, you're either with me or against me. It's like, so basically you're indignant and, and wrongheaded about what, what I'm, (laughs) what my thrust is. You know what I mean? Like not just the topic at hand, but you're even wrong about what I'm doing here. It's not you're with me or against me. It's that there, I want to believe. That all of them um, are actually smart people. I think they're probably decent people. You know, I mean, I'm friends with at least a couple of them. Right. Um, And so I, I, I I don't know. To me, I I want the cup to be half full. I want to like wring their necks and go, "Don't you? I know you get this because you're adults. I know you get this because you do understand basic psychology, right? Not everything in the world is a giant mystery, correct?" Because if everything is this one thing, then once again, what are you writing about? Why are you even writing? <laughs> what other theory could you have? Uh, what well, other thing could interest you other than uh, alien presence controls all of this? Uh-huh. How are you not upset that this dude just said fucking Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Jesus and Buddha and gray aliens <laughs> and contactees are all under the same influence uh-huh. to get this alien agenda out there? I mean, really? You're... You're either ignoring or endorsing by ignoring that to attack me, who you think is sort of, I don't know, smart and together and a good writer and all this. I mean, it, it just is, it's inconceivable to me that, that we're even having this discussion. It's funny, you know, I, I tell my mom these things and and she's just like, God, don't you ever get sick of this? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> uh, it's a religion. There's, there's nothing more to it than that. Yeah. So don't you get sick of doing battle about these things. And the ironic thing is that it is a religion. It's, it's fundamentalism. It's, it's, um, but that they think that it's, they think that I'm the one being the religious one. Like, I think that's the thing that gets me. It's like, not only are they wrong, but, but they have the, their argument backwards, you know, like I'm the one being judgmental. I'm the one doing the, the religious, uh, thou shalt not think. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm just pointing out that you are wrong that everyone knows you're wrong except for you and i don't even believe that like really i, I you know alfred leinberg is one of the people that that's arguing against me here and and i feel like alfred is a nice guy and he doesn't like it when people pick on poor michael horn because he doesn't understand that michael horn is a fucking vicious dipshit who will email you at the drop of a hat to be like, "See, Meyer's prophecies have come true." <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I, you know, your you you fat friend who does Photoshop. I mean, he sits there and he attacks. Uh, I don't know oh. if Dave even knows this because he didn't he, he didn't have the balls to email it to Dave. He Emailed it to Gene, right? But you know, making fun of Dave's weight, uh, making fun of you know all of this stuff. But he does, you know, just for the shits and giggles. I mean, it's not like I talk to Horn, no. but he'll email me these things, yeah, or he'll come to our message board and try to fuck it up, you know. Um, so he's a vicious little vindictive dipshit. And um, but I, I, but again, I don't think you know someone like Lemberg sees that. He his interactions with him have been nice, and I think that he doesn't like bullies. And, and so in this instance, he sees me as bullying these people. Yeah. So against his better judgment of saying Meyer is full of shit and a hoaxer. Uh, he doesn't like my attitude about that, so he's going to defend it. That's what I think is going on there, and I think that that is intellectually dishonest. The end. <laughs> Not to be specific. Well,
1: <laughs> I, again, I think it's it's all about the drama. I mean, I I go back to the individualist, you know, rationale for trying to to, to get involved into a discussion like that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, i mean and and if you extrapolate their idea which is the idea is that the trickster element you have to expect hoaxes in so it's all part of the trickster element as to why there are people faking pictures and video and cases and so that's all part of the trickster element well no sometimes somebody faking stuff is just that somebody faking stuff um, I, I don't get why everybody has to associate a paranormal answer to something so blatantly obvious, black and white and cut and dry. Um, and that's just what I said. And, and and really, the only way to become indignant about that and to become um, sort of a, uh, a catalyst of uh, retribution for people who fake stuff is to Go get off your collective backsides and go out and do work yourself. Investigate things, interview people, talk to people, make the phone calls, do whatever. But you can't sit and just randomly surf the net and decide. Yeah, I'll write about that today. That's not investigating anything. So let you, you know you have no vested interest in your own devotion to the subject, what is that devotion? To, what what vested? You're not doing anything. You're just writing. You know. The commentators have just not – it used to be if you were a commentator, you had to know about the subject with which you were writing. Uh, and and they may know the regurgitative facts, but have they really been involved actively in doing anything? I don't see that that's been the case. I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't. Um, I mean, Reagan Lee certainly has had experiences. I mean, I, I don't doubt that. So to a degree, yeah, she's got some – uh, uh, some kind of, of, of interest that's deep seated with her. And that's, that's okay. You know? Uh, but I mean, a lot of them, I don't see where anybody's doing anything. So how do you really, uh, and that's the difference is we've engaged these people. I don't think that they've engaged those people in that kind of, you need to prove your case. Where's your evidence? Okay. Here's your evidence. Okay. Um, uh, well, your evidence is crap. What else do you have? Well, that's all we got. Okay. Well, then I have to dismiss this because you're not passing through the standard of evidence. Evidence here. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to say, well, huh, because uh, it's this. We have to expect this from the trickster element that we're going to have hoaxers. No. Sometimes a hoaxer is just a hoaxer. It's that's the end. There is no grandiose answer. There, it doesn't fit into the plan. It's just an opportunist. That's all. Why can't we just say that? Why are we so ashamed to say that? There are people in this field who are desiring an answer. And the sad part about it is is that most people out there want the simplest answer and they want you to tell them what it is. What were you recently told? The people out there who are the most successful in this field are the ones who claim an answer. Those are the people that people want to hear because people are desperate for an answer. Stop fucking looking for an answer. You know, if there's not been anything I can beat into people's heads over 20 years, stop looking for an answer. Okay? Stop. We don't know the questions yet. Watch. <laughs> Question. You know, that's all you have to do. What doesn't pass through the filter of the standard of evidence has to be chucked. Stop holding on to it because of your pride, your ego, your need to believe The the real other in all this is strong enough to take the bullets that you're gonna shoot at it. It's strong enough to stand up to that. It's there. Why are we wasting time with bullshit like this? It it it's 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 it boggles my mind. And it is because people either a love the drama, b which I'm convinced that's Michael Horn's deal. I don't believe he believes any of Meyer's case. I don't believe it. I don't care how many people say, oh no, I think he does. I don't think he does. I think it's just a need for drama and a desire for negative attention. Uh, because you, you, you see, I mean, when he pokes at you, that's what that is. He wants you to come back with something. And when you don't, it's disappointment. So then it just gets even more vicious. He's looking for a reaction. I no longer give him that reaction. So uh, th- that, that, that boils it down for me. You've got the desire to believe, the need for an answer, because this 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 phenomena presents very profound questions to us, and people love a uh, love a good mystery. Let's not forget that, but they want an answer. They're not patient enough to hang in for years and check back and forth with it. They want an answer and they want it now, and they're willing to pay for it. That's the sad part. They're willing to pay Greer eight hundred dollars to be taken out and shown, you know, Venus and, uh, and airplanes. <laughs> And whatever kind of bullshit that that goes along with that, they're willing to pay for that. Do you think people aren't going to go? Man, I I I could do that. I could take people out in the woods for eight hundred bucks and make them sign a non-disclosure, so they can't say it was bullshit. I can do that. You think there aren't opportunists in this world, folks? Get over it. There are. They are sucking you dry for it. And to, to attribute that to some facet of this phenomenon is just ridiculous. It is not part of the phenomena. It is part of human reaction in seeing a desire for an answer. That's what it's about. But see, you write that on that board or or in that blog post, and it's ignored because, (laughs) you know.
0: Because it makes sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, it'll come up once It's not
0: wild and imaginative. It doesn't get the fire going in your belly to really start (laughs) thinking in new and bold ways about nothing.
1: I don't see any blogger out there talking about new and exciting ways. I don't see it. Where are this? I mean, where where is this stuff? I, I want to know. Are where are this? <laughs> How'd you like that?
0: Where them at? I'm a it? college
1: graduate. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's, I think the aggravation with the field is just reaching a fever pitch and either something's going to bust or, you know, I, I can't believe, to be honest with you, that more people aren't picking up on uh, the 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 dimensional part. I mean, Jacques Vallée, uh Of course, I think a lot of people look at what he wrote about different postulations on the theory, and 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 kind of putting aside the the uh, ETH and look look at this direction. Isn't this interesting? Aren't these interesting things that we can look at? And look what he got for it. You know, uh, it's just I think people see that and they go, well, we're not going that way. Give me a break. I could give a shit what this field thinks about me. I don't care. I'm looking into psychedelics for this shit, you know, because I see a thread of commonality. I could give a damn what anybody says. Oh, well, he's into drugs. No, he's not into drugs. He's looking at commonalities that may be outside this field, but might hold some definite stuff. But, of course, if I do ever publish anything, that will just be plagiarized anyway. Um, so, you know, that's, it's just another part of the frustration of being actively involved, you know, and I don't think, I think most people in this field are interested, but people who are actively involved, I don't think they make up the majority. I really don't. back
0: to the sour hour with your host. Yeah, I know.
1: We are sour tonight. God, (laughs) we had a bad, bad day or something. It's just. Well, no, I mean,
0: um, you know, I don't know. Me personally, it just it just irks me. These are people that I like personally, and um, I'll be honest
1: with you, I don't get it either. I mean, I postulated the idea of what I thought might be the answer, but I don't know that that's it. I don't know what's going on there. That's all very bizarre to me. It really is. I, I can't imagine anybody reading that and saying, "Oh, I don't agree with that." <laughs> I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get. It.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm you know I'm just going to harp on this stuff longer, and it's just going to get me into more battles with friends. But um, but you you can be friends and
1: disagree. I mean, it's not like all right.
0: Well, then how about this? You know, Al Lemberg, God love you. But uh, I did watch the Silent Revolution of Truth with you, Jeff. And honestly, I know that I'm sour on all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. and as clearly, right? Right. But uh, throw all of that aside, just as on a filmmaking level that is not more than a cult indoctrination video that thankfully falls on deaf ears because nobody gives a shit about the Meyer case. Right. Except for me when I yell about it, <laughs> as, <laughs> as Leslie Gunter pointed out, yeah. I'm the only one uh, keeping this stuff alive at this point. So why don't I just shut my pie hole and it will all go away. Well, sh- There might be something to that, Leslie. Um, Although the, there's
1: like, nothing to Leslie's comment about desiring me to turn blue when she didn't even know me. Thank you. Good <laughs>
0: uh, Thanks, Leslie. Love you too, baby. <laughs> Although, you know, the thing that makes me not think it's true is the fact that Michael Horn still harasses me. So and says to me, thank you for promoting the Michael the, – the Billy Meyer stuff. So that, right. you know, you can do the opposite of that and that's what he's really thinking, which is please shut up and stop talking about it. Right. So, okay. Um, but anyway, so I watched this film with you and I think we, we've we talked about this on the air, right? It, it slowly but surely degrades into Billy Meyer is a prophet – yeah. who has alerted the world to the fact and what mailed po- various politicians or the U.N. or something, right. petitioning to do away with all religions. And he's got the real truth about Christ and about um, all of that. He's got this giant gun collection. It turns into a Q&A uh, of sorts of, well, gee, what does Billy Meyer think about abortion? What does Billy Meyer think about uh, marriage? What is All of these things that are like what a cult leader would – be asking. It's very much a cult indoctrination video, and yet Al Lemberg um, writes a two-fucking-part glowing review um, for UFO Magazine. Now, it's not glowing in a way that that is completely accepting of everything that he's seeing and hearing, but it's glowing in the sense of, um, well, this is eminently watchable, and so you guys should watch it and make up your own minds. Which, I guess, would be fair if if it didn't slip into this cult indoctrination bullshit. Yeah. And to me again, that's another thing that's so obviously there that it really disappoints me in you, Al. <laughs> yeah. Or Alfred, I guess I don't know if Al is an insult to you or if you actually call yourself Al.
1: I mean, he seems uh, like a very uh an intelligent man and I don't get why he would even pay attention to that at all. I mean, I just I don't get it. I don't I don't get it. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um but but interestingly enough, <clears throat> excuse me the 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 whole back to the whole blog thing and your responses to that I have to say it sounds oddly fam- familiar to me to things that Jim Deerdorf had said and Jim Deerdorf is of course one of the big proponents of the Meyer case he just pumps it all over the net and uh, and he's also that what is it the Talmud. Emmanuel, He's right. a big authority on that, saying how real it is and how we have to listen to this. And uh, and he's always got a quick rebuttal for every legitimate um, uh, photo analysis done of Meyer stuff when any can be gleaned for, from it. Um, of course, the guy's not even remotely familiar with imaging at all, uh, but yet will argue with me and Biedny about it, which, again, makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. Uh, that that whole attitude that you're getting in that thread sounds very much like his outlook on this, which is uh, what he calls the plausible deniability factor. Uh, and in that theory, let me just give you the, the quick version of that, is that, let's say, for instance, uh, you know, we've got a, a piece of of, of, of of you know, Billy Bob... Um, Footage and it's a disc flying around a tree. If you're making any analogies, they're your own. Uh, and it looks like a model hanging from a string because it's on a pendulum. It's wobbling back and forth on a central axis. It's spinning. It's <laughs> it's just moving like that back and around this tree. Well, anybody with a fifth grade education would say it's a model on a string and it's wobbling back and forth on the string. So what? His answer is is that the extraterrestrials, in order to give skeptics a way out, fly their ship as if it's tethered to a pendulum. That's right. <laughs> you didn't misunderstand me. They're making their ships look like fakes. So, my answer to him was, well, then that means that every goddamn fake that we've uncovered over the years, to your to your analogy, or to your, uh, your theory, rather, is potentially real. Well, now we're in some real pretty shit. Then, because what the hell are we looking at? It's a ridiculous notion to me. It's ridiculous. It's just another lame ass excuse to believe a case that should have been put to bed decades ago, and no one should have given a second glance to. But because of people like him, that's exactly the same analogy. It's like everything is attributable, attributable to this field in The High Strangeness. The High Strangeness means they can influence people to make hoaxes and they can influence people to do this and and Jim right. says that you know they fly their ships like they're tethered to strings. So How are we to tell? It's all a big mystery.
0: So Leslie, my question <laughs> now, 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 now that I think about this is, did you write to Alfred Lemberg when he wrote that two-part review asking him why he's still talking about the Meyer case when if he just doesn't write the review, it'll just go away? No, because he wrote something positive about it that, that conforms to the view that, that all of this is magical and mystical. Uh, not big, mean old Jeremy, who <laughs> is calling a spade a spade. Yeah. I, I, but, but nothing is a spade, because it's all an illusion. Oh! Ow. well, and That's when I punch him in the face. Yeah, you know uh, what? Not Alfred, Mike.
1: Mike we, uh, we said this, what, two years ago? <laughs> When you and Dave and I were sitting around talking about how do we, how do we change the, the conversation to be a little bit more investigative and a little bit more critical and start identifying crap and calling it just that, we said, we're going to get a load of crap for this. We're going to get a load of flack for this, and you're who's going to
0: police the field? You and you're well, police the field. Uh, who cares? We police the field, or we just want common fucking sense. I, I, that's all I, I'm, I'm asking not, for.
1: I'm, I'm not even saying we're policing the field in in that sense. I'm saying, how about we just inspire everybody or try to inspire everybody to a little bit of critical thought? That's all it that really matters. That's all, that's all that really gets down to. You know, stop being a sheep. <laughs> you know. Start thinking. Stop wishing for an answer, and you know, and you'll find amazing things that really baffle you, and then you can tell people about it. Um, but you know, again, it's this is all about drama. But they don't
0: think they're being sheep; they think we're being sheep by saying that. See how the whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you? Right, routine right, goes right,
1: right. You can't let that aggravate you because that's just childish personality issues. And I don't. I try to stay out of personality issues these days with this, because I'm getting older and I'm tired of dealing with Well,
0: it. maybe I've got my own disorder, you know, because really, if all of this is five-year-old bullshit, you know, that, that any five-year-old should know, then why should I care? Why should I give a shit what these people think, except that they have a voice that people listen to by proxy of the magazine and or the blog, uh, with which I am associated, <laughs> for whatever that's worth, you know, and... Um, well, you, have about, you have to care about you
1: have to tear about care about the the um, you have to care about the integrity of what you're writing and you have to care about the integrity of the magazine
0: I have and- to care about where my voice goes but I also I mean more than that honestly that's not the issue the issue is like I said before personally I like these guys and gals yeah and um, I think that they are smart and know better and the fact that they're arguing the point to argue the point I think that's what's going on and, and I guess maybe it's my own my own uh adolescence coming to the fore but that just fucking gets to my gets me it just gets me every time no
1: you're feeling the passion of what it is to be in this field actively and and questioning people and and devoting time and energy to it i mean that's that's what it is and after a while you won't care anymore you'll just ignore that it won't matter you know or we'll just cease becoming active on other boards you
2: know um
0: well, I think that's it. I think I cannot look at any of those blogs or talk on any of those boards anymore because it just – it angers me. And, and unless unless I like being angered, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just used to being in that state of hostile anger all the time, so I look for things that are going to anger me. And maybe it's my own issue at that point. So So I'm going to make my New Year's resolution a little <laughs> bit late in the year yeah. and stop. I'm just going to put on blinders, focus on this show – Focus on my own writing and not listen to this. Because well,
1: you can focus on the it's blog. Awesome. It's okay to write on the blog and do that. It's just as far as comments goes, uh, go. Don't don't bother um, with the fighting. Just let it go. Um, I, I I feel confident in saying that I have great faith in public uh people public the public in general and i think that when people read what you wrote that they're going to be you know seeing your side of this and i think they're going to be a little surprised at what the others are saying so that's uh that's what you have to you, you you have to sleep at night saying i said what i thought was right i'm doing and saying what i think is best and correct and is obviously correct you got to be satisfied with that. You can't. You can't get yourself all worked. I mean, I believe me. ATS. I used to do it all the time. Uh, one, I, 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 was amazed one day when I went on and had a legitimate conversation for uh, four pages in a thread, and no one called me a name or said I was insane um, just because I talk about, uh, you know, the the state of human perception and reality and all of these things, kind of figuring into the, maybe part of this mystery, you know. I was like, came home and I told Lisa. I said, Trust I talked. I typed four pages into a blog today on ATS, and I actually had a nice conversation. <laughs> I mean, after a while, those become far and few between, and you're like, 'Wow, I really that was really great.' Because the majority of them will be fights and infighting and and childish name calling and all of that. I mean, we we we've done our fair share of childish name calling tonight, but." Uh, you know, it's just in the heat of of aggravation and frustration with this stuff, and it is easy. You know, I mean, astray. Michael
0: Horn is a vindictive piece of shit. Well, when I agree. I agree. That, that's I, agree. I think that's actually factually a good description of him. I don't.
1: I I, I don't disagree.
0: <laughs> I stand by that.
1: I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, but I think it's. Um, I think people have to recognize that it's not about trying to be right or. And it's it's kinda like you're shaking someone who's just in a daze, you know, and, and we've been shaking people for a couple of years now, and and some people are getting it, you know, which is great. Uh but some are just holding on to that old weird excuse. I mean, I don't I don't believe this this field needs apologists. I don't think it's necessary. You know, the good stuff will take all the abuse you can throw at it. So yeah, that's what we got to keep fighting for, is that kind of stuff.
0: Maybe, maybe it's all just that in the end. Yeah. A bunch of babies in a nursery whang at each other. Maybe. Controlled by aliens. Maybe, oh, wait, maybe no, you are. <laughs> um, uh... I, I really would like an explanation of um, if you believe that aliens have the ability and are influencing everybody in that way... Um why why say another word? What other word could you have to say on the topic yeah, if you truly believe that? That is
1: the end all excuse. Right. Right. There's no way around that. Could,
0: I guess you could then quote physics to try to back it up, you know, well, again it's it's the
1: same thing as
0: texts. yeah, it's the
1: same thing <laughs> as Deirdre's plausible deniability idea. How do you go around that? Well that means that every every piece of evidence out there could be faked because the aliens want it to look fake. It's, it's just absurd, you know, and, and if you're going to use that excuse, that is the end-all excuse. There's no way around that. Oh, if that's what you think, then uh, okay.
0: And there's a lot of jumping to other conclusions, too, like with the contactees. It's like, well, um, the CIA and politicians, they, they seem to be interested in them, and the military was interested in them. Doesn't that mean something? Well, uh, yeah, it means that the Cold War was going on, and here are these people saying this stuff. Um, at a time when, like, what McCarthyism was big. I mean, you know, everyone had a file, <laughs> and now here are people saying, you know, they're they're ambassadors to aliens. You know, well, think of all of the implications of that at the time. Plus, we already know from Greg Bishop's work that, um, you know, at least in the '80s, uh, a lot of these outlandish Area Fifty-One type stories came about to flesh out. Um spies to see who would bite and see who would actually uh-huh. care about our top secret technology like that. So there's or all to kinds cover of mundane up the reasons. Yeah. 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 And to cover up the projects and all that stuff. So there's all kinds of mundane reasons to, for them to have FBI files on them and things like that.
1: Well, one needs to go listen to Radio Misterioso with Greg Bishop and listen to, what was that man's name, Jeremy? Do you remember?
0: Um, no, but you do. I do? <laughs> Um, yeah, you remembered it the other day.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Um,
0: In fact, I think you wrote it on the UFO blog.
1: Well, I don't have the link to that anymore. We're on the air. We're broadcasting, morons.
0: <laughs> My God. Um, well, okay, had a guy but, on. But
1: there's a guy on there. If you look on, uh, on Greg's front page of his, his podcast, you'll see, um, I think it's the second or third guest down, <clears throat> is a man who spent time with Adamski. And in that show, he says that Adamski told him, quote, uh, or not, I don't want to quote because I we'll won't say it exactly. Yeah, you By, don't even know the guy's name. But, uh, <laughs> right. It's late. Give me a break. Um, he says in there that, that Adamski flatly told him, if, uh, if Prohibition hadn't gone down the tubes, I never would have had to get involved in this flying saucer crap. There's your mundane answer. He needed the money. <laughs> His liquor running days were over, so he had to find something else. There Ray it is, Stanford. Ray, Ray
0: Stanford. Ray Stanford, thank
1: man. you. So uh, look for that show and listen to it because Greg, that's a great guest, Greg, and that was a hell of a show. So everybody, go listen to that, and and you'll you'll learn a lot from that man's uh, stories of uh, meeting all sorts of different contactee folks over the years.
0: Yeah. And we're going to have Greg Bishop on this here show. He's, we do. Uh, he, he's an interesting cat, and he wants yeah. to come on, so... I'd very we'll much have like him that. on in the near future. Next week, however, we have a very special guest. Yes! Very special Yes! Guest. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. Do we, do we tell people who it is, or do we make them suffer?
1: Um, It's Dr. Dennis McKenna! dun, dun! Dun, 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 dun. So, and Dennis will be talking with us about Seelocybin mushrooms and DMT experiences and ayahuasca and uh, and his uh, journeys with his brother Terrence into the Amazon to partake of all this stuff and what happened. And uh, and, and what he thinks and, now
0: I'm, about certain theories that they held back then. Yes. Certain things that Terrence came up with. Yeah. That's what I will find interesting or perhaps already have because... We've already recorded the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. And and, uh, and I think everybody's going to really enjoy it because um, Dennis has agreed to do more um, shows with us about this because it is such an expansive topic. And the connections to the whole uh, alien experience and UFOs is pretty compelling, me thinks. So, uh, and
0: why also? Because he... Loves us. Uh,
1: he 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 had said he had a great time, and that's that's uh, that's gratifying to know that uh, that we can have somebody of his caliber on the show, and he actually enjoys himself.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm gratifying myself right now just thinking
1: about. Oh, that. I gotta go.
0: <laughs> and that's where we should end it. <laughs>